and welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and explores how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and on today's podcast I am joined by Yvonne Dempsey, a lecturer in pharmacology from the Department of Biological and Biomedical Sciences to talk about her time at the university, her experiences on the Aurora programme and her thoughts on International Women's Day. Yvonne, brilliant to welcome you to the show. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hi Craig, thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you, delighted to be here. Excellent, we are delighted to have you Yvonne and I think it's perhaps best to start by talking about your role at the university. At the start we mentioned there, you're a lecturer in pharmacology. Can you tell me about your job? So I'm lecturer in pharmacology and I'm also programme lead for pharmacology. So my job involves um, teaching, we teach undergraduate students and postgraduate students, we teach students within our department, so pharmacology students, biomedical science students, biological science students, but we also teach students out with the department, so for example podiatrists, ophthalmologists, they need to do a bit of prescribing so they okay. learn a bit of pharmacology. So we teach throughout the university, um, I also do a bit of research and along with the job I think any academic would tell you it comes with quite a lot of admin, so there's a lot of that um, as well. But, you know, every day is different, which is great. I, I love coming into my work and, and every day, you know, different challenges arise. So overseeing the pharmacology programme, you know, I, I work with other colleagues and oversee it from admissions. I work with admissions tutors. And then when the students come in, I oversee what they learn academically, the content of the programme. So I work quite closely with the British Pharmacological Society okay. to, to do that. I'm part of their educators network. So that makes sure that the pharmacology that we teach here at GCU is cutting edge Mm -hmm. and aligns with the the latest pharmacological developments. This is going to be a really thick question, but what do we mean by pharmacology? What is it? For someone that's an alien that has crash landed here and wants to find out about pharmacology, what is it? So pharmacology is the study of drugs and what drugs do to the body and also how the body deals with drugs. So that is the pharmacology. So it's quite often confused with pharmacy. It's absolutely not pharmacy. See, that's so, why yes. I think it was. I was thinking of a pharmacist there. So that's uh-huh. why I just no, wanted so to So a pharmacist difference. will work in a shop. They will dispense drugs. They will give healthcare advice. That's not the role of a pharmacologist. A pharmacologist is interested in investigating drugs, finding out the mechanism of action. That's once you take the drug, how does it have an effect on the body? And what, you know, most pharmacologists are interested in is, so most drugs have their limitations, so how can we develop better drugs with which to treat disease? Excellent. I hope there was someone listening to this that think, God, I don't know, uh, a pharmacologist as well, and I'm glad to ask that. It's a very common question, and it's really common to get it confused with pharmacy. How long have you been at the university for? Ten years. I just got my ten-year service award there. Excellent. I'm just about to get my ten-year service award as well. I had a team meeting last week to say that I'm getting my tenure service, so uh, there we go. Congratulations to 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 both of us. Uh, Tell me a bit about your journey to Glasgow Caledonia University then. I done pharmacology at Glasgow University, so I stay, um, I was brought up in the local area, so I decided to go to a local university um, and I done my pharmacology degree there and then I decided I'd like to do a PhD. And that was really, it wasn't a a career choice to do a PhD at that point in time. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. It was just that I had done my honours project in the the lab and I loved lab work. I realised that. So I decided I I would really like to do a PhD and applied for PhDs all over the country. I decided at that point I'd like to move away to do a PhD. I definitely didn't want to stay in in the local area. And I got a PhD down in Nottingham. 
at the Queen's University Medical Centre in Nottingham with Dr Rob Mason and Dr Sharon Cheatham and that was investigating neuronal circuits that control what we eat and therefore obesity and of course oh, right. you know, wow. obesity is a massive problem yeah. so looking at how, how do we design drugs that, that would help with obesity. So that was really interesting, went down to Nottingham, had a, a blast, had a great time, made lots of, of new friends, but I was quite homesick, I have to say, <laughs> I, I, missed, I missed home. So three years was enough, when I finished my PhD, I was looking for a job back in the Glasgow area, and so I looked at various different jobs, and there was a postdoc that came up in my, Professor Mandy McLean's lab at the University of Glasgow, and I went for that and I was successful moved back up um, and started my postdoc, and that was researching drugs with which to treat pulmonary hypertension. Um, I was really lucky, so I was in Mandy's lab for um, nine years, and that's quite unusual actually, so I was really lucky that I get three three-year grants, one of them collaborating with Professor Andy Baker, so there was a bit of movement, but it was always within Glasgow University, mm-hmm. and I always was based in Mandy's lab. And during this time, I started a family, so I had my daughter during this time, and you know, I was very lucky that I got that, those nine years because a lot of people are expected to move about, you know, and, and actually a three-year postdoc is not very common now. Right. Quite often it'll be 18 months. And so okay. you've just started your postdoc and you're already thinking about having to write a grant for the next postdoc because mm-hmm. you need to get a grant in at least six months before you're your funding so okay. you can understand that that's actually very difficult for women at a time particularly I mean, it's, it's difficult for men as well but for women particularly at a time that you're starting a family you might be taking maternity leave mm-hmm. you don't want to uproot your whole family you might not want to move away from the support you've got from your, your parents I rely yeah. quite heavily on my parents for support with my children so um yeah, that's, that's all things that women need to take into consideration in the academic journey. And as I say, I, I had a lot of support from both Mandy and Andy, and I was very lucky that I got my nine years at Glasgow University. And then I think for the job at Glasgow Caledonian University, I was in the right place at the right time. A lectureship in pharmacology came up, and a permanent job in my local area, I jumped at the chance, applied for it, and I was really lucky that I, I was successful, and I've never looked back. Actually, you enjoy working here? I do enjoy working here. There's a great team here. The department, we're a really collegiate team, really support one another. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoy working here. Tell me about your areas of interest and in research then, Yvonne. So my area of interest, I've continued the area of interest that I've done my, my postdoc on. I'm interested in developing novel drugs for the treatment of pulmonary hypertension. Now, pulmonary hypertension is very different. When you say hypertension, people will think of high blood pressure and systemic okay. hypertension. But pulmonary hypertension is, is different. So pulmonary hypertension is when the, the arteries in the, the lung, and those are the arteries, the pulmonary arteries, those are the arteries that take up oxygen and get rid of carbon dioxide from the body. And those arteries constrict and the the walls of those arteries become more muscular. And basically what that does, there's less room for the blood to flow through. So there'll be less blood flow through the lung. um, And so the the body struggles to pick up oxygen and lose carbon dioxide. There's also an increased strain put on the right heart. And so the right heart eventually fails. And actually it's a terminal disease. So although we've got drugs that allow people to live um, the better quality of life. It will improve survival rates, the drugs we've got, but ultimately we don't have a drug that cures this disease. Um, So we urgently need new drugs in the clinic that cure the disease. And the other thing about pulmonary hypertension is it can, you know, anybody can be affected. So pulmonary hypertension can affect children. It can affect at any age of your life, Mm -hmm. but actually 
it affects females more than males. Okay. So females are um, affected by pulmonary hypertension. They're about three times more likely than a male to develop pulmonary hypertension. So I've worked on various different pathways involved in pulmonary hypertension, but one of the pathways I've worked on is um, sex hormones and oestrogen because we think that oestrogen is involved in the development of pulmonary hypertension. And that's actually really quite interesting because we already have drugs in the clinic for breast cancer that target the oestrogen pathway. And if you've already got drugs that are used clinically, then you know that they've got a proven safety profile. So it's a much quicker way to get drugs into someone Okay. Rather than going through all the safety tests, and actually, that's what they've done during COVID. When you know, when we had to get drugs really quickly, they mm-hmm. looked at drugs that were already in the clinic used to treat other conditions. So, for example, the first drug that was used to treat COVID was dexamethasone, which is a really common drug used for lots of different conditions. It's cheap. We know that it's it's relatively safe, and so we could get that into the clinic really quickly without having to go through really prolonged mm-hmm. clinical trials to prove the safety mm-hmm. of these drugs. Yvonne, something you touched on there was perhaps about the differences that men and women, males and females, respond to to different drugs. Could you expand on that a wee bit? Yes, absolutely. So this is a really interesting area and it's something that we're really trying to address at the moment. So we know that the physiology between males and females is really different. We know that um, sometimes disease presents differently in males and females. And interestingly, drugs can, not always, but drugs can work differently in males and females but we don't have enough research on this and there's there's various reasons for that. So first of all, because females have a menstrual cycle and that means they have fluctuating levels of hormones throughout the month, it's always been thought by researchers that that might confuse the data that they okay. get from, from trials. So for that reason, they've preferred to, to do trials on males. But as well, after the thalidomide scandal, where thalidomide was a drug that was it was used for various things, but it was also used as um, a morning sickness mm-hmm. drug, and it was given to pregnant women. And some of the babies were born with really quite extreme disabilities. So understandably, after that happened, um, researchers were very sceptical of using women of a childbearing age in clinical trials. So for these reasons combined, most of the data that we have for drugs is based on men. And that's something that we now realise is, is an issue and is something that we're trying to address. So, for example, various funding bodies will now not fund studies unless they are carried out in both women and men. And right, that goes okay. in the clinical stage and in preclinical work where, for similar reasons about the, the hormonal cycle, Preclinical work, a lot of the time, well, drugs have to go into an animal before they're put into a human. So preclinical work, a lot of that was done only on male animals as well. Right, okay. So it's not just in the clinical trials, but also the preclinical work. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the funding bodies are now saying, no, we need to look at sex differences mm-hmm. and if there are any sex differences. I mean, as a, as a layman, that does seem to make a uh-huh. lot of sense to me. Yep. Let's talk a bit about the Aurora programme. Could you explain what the Aurora programme is to someone who's never heard of it? So the Aurora programme is a leadership programme for females and it was a fantastic programme to be involved in. I I really, really enjoyed it. It was an excellent opportunity and I'd strongly encourage Mm -hmm. anyone else who is thinking of applying for the Aurora programme to go for it. Now, when I'd done the Aurora programme, I'm not sure if this year it's going to be back in person. When I'd done it, it was online and we only had one session in person. And I was a little bit sceptical about, you know, because these sessions are from 10 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon and they're online. That's, I don't have a, a great concentration mm-hmm, span, so mm-hmm. that actually for me is quite a lot. They were fantastic. Yeah. Honestly, they absolutely held your, your attention. The, the facilitators were brilliant. There was lots of breakout rooms, and I know breakout rooms can be awkward, but <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. You were with 
four or five other women um, and you get kept in the same group for that particular session. And then at the, another session, we put in another breakout group. And that was brilliant for building networks as well. So as well as getting all the tools that Aurora help you with and all the advice, you also helped, it really helped to build a network. So what were some of the things that you learned on the programme? So how to present yourself well, that was one of the things. Um, and actually, it was someone that done theatre. She talked about lightning, <laughs> about microphones, lots of things that we don't really think about very much. We done politics in, in academia and how to um, influence and make your voice heard and um, having difficult conversations. They talked about all that and they gave us various tools to, to use. Now, Yvonne, this podcast is being specially recorded for International Women's Day 2023. What does the day mean to you? I think it's excellent that women are being highlighted for the work that they do because women do some fantastic work um, and sometimes they're not quite rewarded in the way that they should be for that work. So, for example, we know, I, I don't think this is the case at all at GCU, but we know in other institutions there's a gender pay gap and there is also underrepresentation of women in leadership roles. And women face unique challenges, um, not just in academia, but in the workplace. So I can only speak for myself, but I can definitely say that after my children came along, you're then splitting your time more between work and and childcare, and that's, that's just a, a fact. It's something that you, you can't get around. I absolutely love my children, but it was easier just to commit to work before mm-hmm. you had these responsibilities. And, you know, I know a lot of men do have a lot of childcare responsibilities, but I think as a society as a whole, it tends to fall on women mm-hmm. more. And there have been initiatives to, to try and redress that balance. So, for example, Instead of having been able to take up to a year's maternity leave, I believe that in most institutions anyway, that can now be shared between parents. So it's paternal leave and it can be shared between parents. So men could take six months and a woman could take six months. So that's all great, but I think we probably need to encourage mm-hmm. more men to actually take that up. Because I think if you looked even in GCU and looked at maternity leave versus the amount of time taken in paternity leave, there'd be a lot more maternity leave taken. And I also probably think that when children get sick, whatnot it probably falls more on the female mm-hmm. so all of these are um these things as well you know if you've got elderly parents who need care sometimes that falls more often on a female than mm-hmm. than a male you've spoken a bit about the work that glasgow caledonia university is doing to promote gender equality could you expand on that a wee bit yes absolutely so i actually think gcu does well, I mean, certainly within our department, our head of department is female, our assistant head of department is female. And if you look at leadership roles across the university, I don't know what the gender split is, but there are a lot of females mm. in leadership roles. So I think Glasgow Caledonian University actually does very well at this. One final question I wanted to ask you, Yvonne, was about mentorship. Can you talk a wee bit about your experiences of mentorship? Yes, absolutely. So I've been incredibly lucky throughout my career. I've been mentored by some fantastic people, not just women, but as this is this podcast for International Women's Day, I'm going to highlight the, the women who have mentored me. So my PhD, I was mentored by Dr. Sharon Cheatham. Then when I got my postdoc, I was mentored by Professor Mandy McLean. I also done a British Pharmacological Society mentorship scheme where I was mentored by Dr. Gillian Gray. I went then when I came to GCU, I've had a few mentors. So um, Dr. Sharon Rowland, who was, um, well, she was subject lead for pharmacology when I first came here, and then she um, became head of department. Dr. Trisha Martin has mentored me through, mostly through um, research. And through the Aurora programme, I've been mentored by Professor Alison Britton. And mm. actually, 
Alison was really instrumental in encouraging me to go recently for promotion and helping me to fill out my application and, and to get that. So that mentorship was fantastic. And I really hope in the future to pay that forward and act as a mentor on the Aurora programme for other women. Oh, Yvonne, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for speaking to me. I really enjoyed your company. Thank you so much. Yes, you too, Craig. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'd also like to thank everyone for tuning into this episode and I hope you can join us again very soon when we'll be talking with more people from the GCU community about their research, their career and a lot more. The views expressed in the Common Good podcast are those of the participant and don't necessarily represent the views of Glasgow Caledonian University. Please subscribe to this podcast. You can get every episode sent straight to your listening device by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and everywhere else. And leave us a five-star review while you're at it, please. So, until the next time, I've been Craig Telfer and this has been the Common Good podcast. Podcast.